Welcome to episode 157 of the Mash Those Buttons Mash Cast. I am Jared, and I'm here with Games Industry Public Defender and the Scourge of Iron Forge, Nick Zonkevich. Hey, how's everybody doing? Yeah, I did it a little backward this time. I, yeah. Uh, gotta Change keep it guessing. Up. Change it up. That was actually a big accident. I gotta just, I just gotta own up to it because I'll be back at top form next week, guys. <laughs> <laughs> what about the rest of the show? <laughs> I'll be back on top form next week, guys. <laughs> uh, so you, know, you, you start bad, I don't know. You start bad, you stay bad. That's the lesson here. Yeah, yeah. So uh, no third this week. I'll say that's partially due to my That's partially my fault. Actually, mostly my fault. There's no third this week. Uh, next week on the show, we're going to have uh, Jorge or GoToNRG from an orbit. So you can expect that. But for now... It's just me and Nick. You got to deal with just me and Nick this week, and uh, we have quite a few things to get into. Uh, we're going to talk about what you can expect to find on the Metal Gear Solid Five physical disc for PC if you decide to buy it and aren't using Steam. I don't know why, but uh, <laughs> we're gonna, we'll talk about that. Um, we're going to talk more about ESPN on esports. Some um, uh, developments have come up with that. Uh, Slave Tetris is a thing, or was a thing, and we'll talk about that a bit. Uh, we're going to also shit on pre-orders a bit more because there's a, a news about two pre-orders specifically for two for two uh, big games coming out. Uh, we have some things to say about that. Jimmy Kimmel apparently doesn't like Let's Plays, and that's been making the rounds in, in gaming news. Actually, I think he's made a couple of segments at this point about that. So, you know, we'll talk about that. The FTC, FTC uh, came down a bit on Machinima and, uh, regarding their Xbox One um, product placements, or uh, not product placements, but their advertising of Xbox One without really saying they were advertising Xbox One, but like I said, we'll get into that. And, uh, you know, we a while back we talked about how the, the composer for the Halo music and, you know, the music for Destiny was actually in a lawsuit with Bungie, and we'll talk about the result of that. But let's talk a little bit about, actually, I don't even really, it's not even like a topic. There is a, a Humble Ubisoft bundle from uh, HumbleBundle.com and I just wanted to bring it up because it is actually pretty sweet. Uh, so, you know, Humble Bundles always, you know, pay what you want. And if you pay a certain amount, you get certain, um, I won't say prizes, but certain perks and, and things of that nature. So uh, the games up for grabs uh, for this Humble Bundle are uh, Rainbow Six, Rainbow Six, Three Gold, Rainbow Six Vegas, Splinter Cell, Chaos Theory, Ghost Recon, and Rainbow Six Siege. And if you pay a minimum of a dollar, you will get those games. Uh, I think you, if you pay like $7 or more, you get uh, Rainbow Six Vegas 2. You get uh, Splinter Cell, Splinter Cell Conviction Deluxe Edition. Uh, and there are more games added to that a little bit later. And if you pay $10 or more, you also get you get Splinter Cell Future Soul. I'm uh, sorry, you get um, Ghost Recon Future Soldier and Splinter Cell blacklist then if you pay 75 dollars or more so that's 15 dollars above normal price for a regular game you'll get everything mentioned that, that i mentioned and you get rainbow six siege when it's released an exclusive rainbow six siege shirt uh, shirt and 66 percent off of uh off coupon for any usable products sold through uh ubisoft products sorry sold through the humble bundle store the big thing, though, is that if you do purchase into this Humble Bundle, you get access to the Rainbow Six Siege closed beta right now. And I think that's the biggest news. 
So for like a dollar, you can get yourself into the closed beta. Plus, you get some free games. So I mean, that that I thought that was that was a pretty big announcement. I thought that was pretty cool. I haven't bought my uh, my bundle yet, but I do plan on buying it. And I'll probably actually just give those codes, again, uh, codes away because I own every single game on that list <laughs> already. Rainbow Six and Ghost uh, Ghost Recon games are the only games that I'll actually buy on PC for, from Ubisoft. <laughs> All other Ubisoft games, nah, man, I gotta stay away. I gotta stay away. You know what I thought was funny though? The, the I got I got Ghost Recon Future Soldier for Xbox as a review copy, and I got uh, Future Soldier. Um, and, you know, I bought it on Steam on sale, and the same exact bugs that were in the Xbox 360 version were in the PC version. Really, same exact bugs. Yes. That that shows a level of consistency I think we can all respect. <laughs> I knew there was a way you could turn that around, Nick. <laughs> uh, but let's uh, move on to Metal Gear Solid Five. This is also going to be a quick one because, uh, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of games that come out now. The physical discs just have the Steam, have the Steam installer on it, and typically they have the game files on it. That is actually not the case with the Phantom Pain. With Metal Gear Solid 5, all you get is the Steam installer. You look on the disc, and there's like 9 megs of data, which is the, the initial installer for the Steam installer. That's the thing that you open up to download the Steam installer. Were you they know? just trying to get rid of discs? Because that seems like a waste of disc space, even. Yes, they are just trying to get rid of discs. They might as well have just let you buy uh, like, a, like, a, like a little piece of paper. Yeah. A pamphlet with a code on it. Yeah. That's all. But you know what they want? I think it's because they want, you know, because people are still used to going down a rack and seeing a box product. And they, Ooh, I think they, they just this want point, that. Who, who is I still think, doing that? <laughs> I think they just want uh, uh, product placement in a store because now the funny thing is, that's just a form of marketing now. Yeah. Seeing, I, seeing a box, seeing it for a PC game, seeing a box product on a shelf is a form of marketing. It's like, hey, I'm here. Look at me. I'm here. It sounds it's it sounds dumb to say, but yeah, I'd rather they I mean, I've I've purchased game time cards. I think it was like Warhammer Online where they they sold the game time card in like an actual box. I think I have that somewhere still. Really? Yeah, cuz I I bought it on sale somewhere and then I never got around to using it and then the game shut down. <laughs> so, I know, yeah, I was about to say I didn't know you played Warhammer Online. That was my favorite MMO of I all time. I played with you way back in the day. You did? Yes. Me, you, Chris Kelly, and those guys? Y- yes. Like, I don't remember that, Nick. Clearly not. <laughs> I didn't play very often. I wasn't yeah, very good. That but... was my f- dude, that was my favorite uh that was my favorite MMO. Yeah, no. Nah. Mainly because it was PvP driven. That's yeah, why. That, that's what we did some of the PvP. I, I forget the name of the map, but uh there was like a little swampy marsh around like a castle or something. I remember going down into the marsh and then coming back up. Yeah. 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 Like back in the day. Yeah. But good times. Yeah. But I think I understand the concern for retail space. And I, I, I think too, I understand. I can see why GameStop would be all about like, yeah, let's keep, you know, making boxes of stuff because that otherwise without the boxes were useless. But I think we do need to at least transition to, if you're going to do something like this, just sell a card, sell a sheet of paper. You know, it's, I mean, especially too, I think that, you can, I mean, I hope, I assume the box says, you know, requires online connection to install. I would hate to think somebody's going to buy this and be like, well, I'm not going to have the internet for a few days. Let me play my Metal Gear. 
and then find out that that doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, that would really suck if you bought a box copy of it specifically because you know you weren't going to connect to the internet, and then you opened up the box, you put it in, and then there was nothing on it. That would really suck. Yeah. And on top of that, I mean, it's a game they wouldn't take it back. Yeah, and yeah, it's... Yeah, I mean, I don't know, it's... It just seems like... It just feels like a waste. It's just excessive, and, and I'm sure there are people going out and buying... I guess it's easier to... I guess it's... Can you pre-order through Steam? Yes, you can. Yeah, so, I don't Actually, know. Actually, every time I log on the Steam, I'm always seeing some shit for pre-order. I don't know. It's it. I'm sure there are people who are still more comfortable going to GameStop than, than pre-ordering through Steam. Yeah, your and, parents. Yeah. So, well, actually, that's a pretty legit argument. Your parents. <laughs> I, just, I said it trying to be a smartass. I was like, wait a minute, that's actually pretty legit. Well, yeah, I mean, that's true. You want, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's still easier to buy somebody a physical copy of something as a gift than to buy them a digital copy of something as a gift and then... I mean, at best, you're printing out like an email, like, "Hey, look what I got!" And now you can go redeem this code. Like, it's it's it doesn't have the same oomph. So I mean, like, you know, you unbox it, and like, "Hey, hey, Metal Gear, yay!" But, um, yeah, I don't know. It 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 it, it just feels like a bit of a waste. It does. It, it that's because it is a waste, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> so it feels like it is. It feels like it is because it is an actual waste. So we won't waste any more time on that. Uh, Nick's usually got the puns. Now it's me. Thank you very much. Well done. Clap louder, Nick, so they can hear it. Thank you. All right, thank you. I appreciate that. I try my best. <laughs> okay. Uh, so uh, let's move on to ESPN and esports. So we know that ESPN has been dipping their toes in the esports water for you know some time now, and uh, you know they've done some. I wouldn't call it their coverage of the international terrible. It just could have been better. You know, it could have been better. Uh, but now it looks like they're trying to, I guess they're trying to get a bit more serious. They uh, have a uh, listing opening uh, for a job for esports editor. All right. And that's not just going to be somebody like a one person team tucked away on a blog or something like that. That is actually going to be a person that's going to be in charge of. Uh, you know, their esports division, or I guess a, a few writers. Now, they may just hold it to a website. Uh, we may not see any airtime for this for quite some time. But, um, yeah, I mean, this is, I think the ESPN is try, is actually going to give this thing a go. Uh, I think their biggest challenge is going to be their current viewers. Because well, a lot of the, like, when the Invitational aired on, that was like ESPN2, wasn't it? Yes. People were upset about that. Yes. You know, well, I, it, well, it's interesting to you note know, one of the, the loudest critics of it was Colin Cowherd, who is no longer with the network um, for other reasons. Um, but that was like a year ago, wasn't it? That was last year's Invitational or, or International. Because the, yeah. the International, didn't that just happen again? This like, Wasn't this year's just now or is that coming up in a few weeks? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't follow Dota. Because I, I, I know I saw something about it. Let me see when that is this year. I'm pretty sure it's it's close. This is probably why we're talking about it. First. Yeah, but I haven't heard anything about this year's being on ESPN. ESPN. So, yeah, it was uh, in August. So, yeah. yeah, so I haven't heard anything about this year's being on ESPN. Well, I know there was that there was that Evo clip that was made not top ten. Yeah, so yeah. The, they're clearly they're clearly aware of it, and it's. I think this really relates strongly into another topic we're going to talk about late, later in multiple ways, um, the the Jimmy Kimmel issue. 
Um, but I feel like esports, at least esports as far as it replies to this, I think video games in a more general sense, at least the presentation of video games, I should say, is really on sort of the the verge of crossing over. I think we've kind of been feeling that tension for a while, and ESPN's kind of been playing with that a little bit. And I think once e like I mean the whole the whole article it makes the point like everybody's been trying to be the ESPN of sports, and now ESPN can be the ESPN of esports. Like that's. But I th- I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, it it seems kind of obvious that ESPN, you know, for for as much as some people may 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 criticize them or you know the issues that people may have with them, I mean they've been around for over 30 years now. They have set the they they've sort they're the establishment as far as sports coverage goes, and I think anybody looking to set up an esports analog is going to look to ESPN and say, okay, well, this is how real sports do it. Then we're going to, you know, we want to, if we want to be perceived as a real sport, then we need to kind of do the same kind of things. And it makes sense at some point for ESPN to be like, well, if we do this for real sports, we can do this for esports. And the predominant thing, the most important thing, there's money there. I mean, we've been talking about esports for a while. I mean, t- you know, how much does the Invitational give out? Millions and millions of dollars yeah. for its rewards. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, how much do you hear about like you know the the, the Hearthstone awards that are, that are being given out? There's there's there is money here. You've got actual buildings being opened up across the country as esports arenas. And I think as the money increases and it becomes enough that the major players in the entertainment arenas predominantly, but you know, sports arena in this case. Um, you know, you know, predominantly ESPN, but you know, possibly Fox Sports, any of the other networks. As they see that there's money here, they will move into it, and then they will start to, you know, sort of glom onto that. I mean, you, you know, a lot of people like to compare it to poker, as far as you know, well, ESPN covers poker. Why, you know, why is that not a big deal? But esports is. But they didn't get into poker. Well, I mean, it's one of those things like poker had a rise in conjunction with ESPN, and it's almost a, a chicken or an egg argument as far as did ESPN coverage, you know, pour more money into poker or did ESPN see that poker was, you know, getting interesting and, you know, being starting to have more money, at which point ESPN got involved. I think they kind of grew together in that regard. But it's yeah, if there's money there, then you're going to see networks like ESPN getting involved. And I think that's what we're starting to see is that the the, the amount of money that's there, the amount of eyeballs that are there, uh, you know, the view, the viewership, the retention of viewership, I think that's something that the networks are looking at. And if they can get in on that market, then they're going to start paying attention to it. And that's that's what we're seeing here. I think the, the problem that ESPN is actually going to have, one, like I said, is their current viewership, because a lot of them look down on games. Um, they don't even play video games. But then on top of that, even the ones that are, let's say they're kind of open to it, or don't, or, or you know, they don't care as much about it, they're not offended by the fact that ESPN is showing video games, is the fact that in order to appreciate uh, esports or video game competition, you kind of have to know what's going on. You know, like when you see two people play Street Fighter, it's one thing to just watch them hit and go, go back and forth and hit and stuff like that. And it's kind of just like, okay, like what's happening? Why are people going, ooh, or nah? Like, what this is kind of boring. And then to be able to actually understand what's going on, going on, you, you have to understand the meta game to understand why. Uh, good things and bad things are happening, or you know, to appreciate what you're watching, and that's going to be hard to relay, especially since most of the stuff that they cover kind of has this easy to follow 
you know, uh, mentality, like basketball, football, like you can, you see, like, you know, get the ball from one end of the field to the other. Like you understand that basketball shoot more bat, you know, make more baskets than the other player. And like when someone, when a, when a basketball player crosses up another one, you could just, you can clearly see why that was, you know, good, but it's harder to see like when somebody makes a slight change in Starcraft or, you know, they make a certain movement or they have a certain, uh, in street fighter, they have a certain, um, strategy they're using. It's harder to detect, and look at that and understand it. I, th- I think you're right, but at the same time, those games, football, basketball, baseball, they have a deeper level of understanding that not every fan gets. I mean, you can look at it very casually and you can say, okay, the guy swings at the ball, he you know, he hits the ball, he hits it far, that's impressive, or he, he swings at the ball, he misses, oh, that sucks. I mean, there's sort of an easy way to understand that, but then you talk about pitching changes as far as when you change pitchers or what kind of pitches that people are throwing or, you know, what kind of signals are there or does he, you know, does he th- throw to first to, to cut off a steal? Does, you know, there's a whole level of strategy that you can get into on these things. I mean, even... To look at another thing that's only recently gained acceptance on ESPN, like MMA. I mean, at first glance, it's just two guys beating the shit out of each other. But then once you actually look at it closer, you understand, okay, well, if this guy punches here, he opens himself up to a grab here, and then you start to understand some of the some of the different holds and the different fighting styles. And, I mean, that's fundamentally what you want, is you, you know, every sport is going to have sort of its initial impression at first glance. And it's easy to look at, you know, look at some of the traditional sports like MMA. Uh, well, I shouldn't, not that MMA is a traditional sports, but, you know, MMA has those those hard-hitting punches. You see somebody get, get punched, they get knocked out. That's impressive. Or, you know, you see somebody, you know, like, you know, blow a tackle in a football and then run for 60 yards. You know, that's impressive. You see those athletic feats that are impressive, and then that sort of that gives you that ooh and ah factor, and then after that you can get drawn in, and then you need somebody to explain to you, well, you know, what was in, you know, like not even so much the blown tackle, but then the different coverages, or you know, why that guy was there, and somebody who was out of place that allowed for him to run for sixty yards, you know, there, there's a there's a deeper level of understanding there that that the announcers are t- supposed to provide, and I think with esports it's the same thing. Um, you know, they had that play from Evo that made the top 10. There, you've got your ooh and ah moment. Now you need somebody to go in and actually explain the rest of the coverage and be like, okay, why, you know, when he's blocking here, does it allow him to, you know, set up another shot where he can juggle somebody and then, you know, basically get, you know, not take him out immediately? You know, what what was so technically impressive about Sonic Fox beating, uh, I can't remember the other guy's name. What was Perfect, it? Perfect Legend? Perfect Legend. Well, that, okay, well, I'm not going to get directly into no, that. But, no, no, I mean, I'm, uh, yeah, that, I'm not actually asking the question. I'm, I'm saying rhetorically, like I would want the announcer to explain that, you know, why, you know, why couldn't Perfect Legend come back? I mean, it's not just, a, you know, you, you don't necessarily want it to be, I mean, that's an impressive feat. I mean, imagine a boxer just getting the, you know, beat in a boxing match and ESPN would cover that. They would cover that boxer getting, you know, relentlessly shelled for, you know, uh, you know, several rounds. Uh, and and they talk about it a little bit as far as, well, you know, not just being outclassed, maybe not having the right reach, maybe not, you know just not being quick enough as far as why he wasn't able to defend himself in that regard. And, you know, I, I think that's the thing is that you, as long as you have the right announcers, the announcers are given the time and the ability to explain what's going on. Everybody can learn that. I mean, fundamentally, there's a learning curve for football. There's a learning curve for basketball. You don't just watch two people, you know, like five, you know, two teams of five bouncing a ball around, throwing the ball at the hoop. I mean, there's a very simple way of understanding it, but then you still don't understand, okay, well, why did the ref blow the whistle here? Why was that a foul? I didn't see what happened there. You need somebody to explain you through the mechanics. Generally, we get those mechanics 
in high school or, or, or elementary school or, you know, at some point we have a gym class. Okay, we're going to go through some basics for football. We're going to go through some basics for basketball and whatnot. It's not maybe not NBA level rules, but everybody kind of gets the, the basic knowledge of the sport when they're a kid. And and I think that's the problem here is that you've got people who have grown up watching esports, you know, people who've grown up watching Let's Plays and, and you know, Twitch streaming. They have that inherent understanding. So for them to put on ESPN and see it being streamed, they can follow along. The real demographic issue, and I think the people who are complaining the most about why is ESPN showing this, are, you know, the older people who don't have that experience of, you know, Dota or League of Legends from their youth to go back to, to be like, okay, I've seen this before, so I know what's happening here. At best, they wind up talking about, like, Mario, <laughs> which has nothing to do with it, but they're looking for some kind of, they're looking for some kind of analog in the, in the world of video games for them to try to understand it. And they're the people that are scratching their head and left kind of yelling, like, why is this on my TV? This isn't a sport. Um... I mean, even poker, again, to go back to poker as the best analog, they have to explain all the different, you know, what's going through somebody's head here. Because basically, I mean, right there, you're watching somebody. You have, you, you see what cards they have in their hand. You see what cards are on the board. You know what cards the other guy has, which they don't know. And it actually tells you what the odds are at any given time of them winning the hand or not. And then explains, well, what they're trying to think, you know, what they're trying to do here as far as can they bluff their way out of this? If they, you know, give the perception of coming out strong, can they throw the other guy off? Should they just fold because they don't have, they don't think they have a good chance, even though they might actually have the better odds, you know, what cards they think might have, you know, come out, you know, and, and they're able to talk you through that as far as how they're, you know, what, what's going on in the player's head. That's really where the actual competition of the moment is. I think that's fundamentally what, what, sports are is as much as it's you know bat meeting ball it's it's a battle of minds it's you know as a pitcher what pitch am i going to throw to get this guy out as a you know as a a, you know in a football game what play am i going to call to get a touchdown and that battle of minds that can be that applies very much to esports and you just need the right announcers to explain that um Pretty sure that's the longest rant you've ever had on the podcast. That shit clocked in at like four and a half minutes. Did it seriously? <laughs> yeah, like I was, I'm just sitting like, is he gonna stop? Maybe I should stop. I was not. I, I could have kept going. <laughs> Sorry about that. But I'm gonna tell you why you're half wrong. <laughs> at, at this point, um, you're right that pe- from a young age, people got to play basketball, baseball, football, and that's you know they they are able to understand it at that aspect. But even people who didn't play it, like let's say you know for example, a lot of women, especially in the past, didn't play football, basketball, baseball. They never they didn't play it because no girls allowed, right? But yet there's still tons of women who understand who who can appreciate the sport. And understand the sport, you know what I'm saying? Now, what you're talking about, you know, with the metagame of those, of what we were going to, you could say traditional sports, yes, there is a deeper metagame, and more of the hardcore fans of those sports will get involved in that. But even if you're not a hardcore fan of the sport, like, you know, like, I can go to a soccer game and kind of enjoy it. You know what I'm saying? I, I get it. I can watch these 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 physical feats and, uh, you know, enjoy people doing that and scoring goals and things like that. The problem with esports, and especially games, is... Well, actually, even with games, like, uh, there are a lot of people who played Street Fighter their whole life. Or, you know, uh, played fighting games, you know, multiple fighting games. And they still don't understand or they don't find, uh, you know, uh, watching competitive fighting games um, 
entertaining or they don't understand what's actually going on inside of a competitive match. And part of the reason is I think they move so fast. Like, you know, football, basketball, baseball, they move at the speed of humans, you know, at at the speed of humanity. Whereas with uh, Street Fighter or other fighting games, you are executing moves within inside of a second. You know what I'm saying? Like you're counting frames, like you know, you know, eight sixtieth of a second. You know, you you need to do the. You know, you you're one frame linking. You you're doing something at one at the speed of one sixtieth of a second, purposefully. So that- or you're watching something change. You're watching a match turn around, or somebody do one action at one sixtieth of a second, ten sixtieths of a second. And you're watching that happen, and you can comprehend and understand that, and that's part of what makes, uh, you know, esports or specifically fighting games great to watch. I just want to say slow motion, slow Is motion, that, slow motion. No, because even in, in in sports that move move at human speeds, we still have slow motion replays to show us what happened because we don't even understand what happened. I mean, referees look at a play and they don't know where what happened with the ball and stuff. And so the same thing, if you you know, especially if you only have a thirty second Street Fighter match. You know, that's not a lot of content. So you're going to need to replay it again slower. Slow it down to like, you know, like maybe what? 15 frames a second, 10 frames a second. And you'd still miss some of the important stuff that's Then happening. slow it down more. I mean, you can slow it down as much as you need for the announcers to go back and go over it. I mean, maybe they need more time between when the match actually happens and when they actually pre- present the replay. I mean, but even then you get that on a lot of the NFL shows. I mean, there was uh, the one NFL show with, uh, what, Jaworski and... Uh, uh, I can't think of the guy's name now. The running back for the Steelers, the the, the the two of them, they used to do, and and they would go through the, you know, they'd go through the plays, they'd go through the coverage, they go. It was it was a deeper dive. It was intended more for you know sort of the cerebral football fan, not just somebody who just you know rooted for their team and didn't you know didn't care about the X's and O's. But yeah, I mean, you you can there's room for that that you can go into those games. You know, slow it down as much as you need to explain it because once you get into the actual mechanics of it, that. One, I think that attracts a different type of fan, but also that makes it more interesting. And then once you get that understanding, then you can watch things a little bit quicker and kind of pick up on a few of the things that are there. I mean, it's I guess that's the question is, is there a market for people that really study fighting games to that degree? I don't know. I I, I still think it's I mean, you can do replays to a degree, you know, I just uh, I don't know. I think I think it'll be too slow (laughs) in terms of a fighting game, you know. Personally, I, I I think it would be too slow. Like, at that point, do you want you know people? You know, the thing about like uh regular sports is that you don't necessarily see um announcers trying to teach people how the game is played every time. You know, every time a, a game is on, and that's kind of what will be happening for esports. Like, this is why this is good, and this is why that's good. And I don't think uh, for for uh, coverage of people who already are in the know, they don't want to go through that every single time because it's a time waste. There's, no, there is a certain level of assumed knowledge, but there is a certain level after which they do repeat themselves every time. Um, and it is higher for modern sports because there's, there's an expectation that you know that. Um, I don't know, even as far as women go, I feel like at least going back to when I was in high school or, or middle school, whatever age, I mean, I, I still remember we did like a football unit in our gym class and we had the, the guys and the girls playing together. I mean, it was flag football. You're just grabbing the little flag off their belt. So it's not, you know, it's not any kind of like tackle or two hand touch or anything. 
because um, obviously you got a bunch of like seventh grade got you know boys and girls playing together. You don't really want them getting too physical because you're gonna have problems in that case. <laughs> but um, but I mean yeah, but I I think I mean one I think there's plenty of women that follow sports, um, and I I don't know if that's something that that's opened up over the last you know twenty years or so or I cause, I mean I I don't know how many women followed sports in the past necessarily, um, but yeah I mean there you know it's. I think it's a lot more mainstream. I think sports in general are very mainstream now, and I think esports is is getting into that realm as well. I think it's. I mean, we've been talking about about this for a few years. This isn't the first time this has come up on here, um, and I, I I think within a few years it'll hit a, hit a point where we won't need to talk about it. That it'll just be on ESPN. It'll just be part of the mainstream. People will know what's going on. Um, I think we're 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 hitting that threshold, and. Because we're at that threshold now, that's why it keeps coming up as a topic. All right. Well, we'll leave it like that. And for the next conversation. <laughs> Which is coming up in like 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's hop into Slave Tetris. Uh, apparently, uh, somebody thought it was a good idea to have in their game. And actually, uh, the, the game is called History 2 Slave Trade, which uh, is supposed to be... Uh, according to the developers, a game about you helping a slave escape the slave trade. Okay, all in all. But the real attention has come from this mini-game inside of History 2 in which you have to pack slaves into a slave ship Tetris style. Okay, so basically it has been called Slave Tetris, which makes sense. But yeah, so the developers of this game thought it would be a good idea to do this According to the developer, they uh, they think that it's their right to be able to express their ideas any way they want to, and they said they you know they were doing it to help make people think twice or to rethink how uh, you know how, I guess how horrific the slave trade actually was. Um, I think the actual the real problem here is the fact that it's taking such a light approach to slavery. You know, like, it's one thing to make a game, a serious game about something, you know, a game about slavery. Uh, that's one thing. If you, because slavery is obviously very serious, so you want to approach it in a serious manner. But if you, I mean, we'll have the, the link in the show notes. But if you can just see the pictures here, like, it's definitely more of a comedic tone with slave Tetris. I mean, the word slave Tetris by itself is... <laughs> that, well, I mean, that by is is that actually what it was called in the game, or is that just the shorthand that everybody used to describe it because it's Tetris with slaves? Uh, he called like he. I think everybody. It's, it's the shorthand, but uh, he actually called it slave. Like, he in his um. Actually, no. It's called Slave Tetris. Yes, sorry. It is so actually, it, it, it actually like, when you start that segment of the game, then it says, like, Slave Tetris, and then you play that for, what they say, 15 seconds, and then move on to whatever's next. Right. Well, no, this is definitely more than a 15-second game. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, this is definitely not more than a 15-second game. Probably, it's probably a decent chunk. I don't know. They said it's, uh, what, uh, Simon Engel, Egenfeld Nielsen, the CEO, yeah. said it's literally 15 seconds out of a two-hour game. Really? Okay. So it, you must be a pretty fast Tetris player then. Yeah, seriously, I'm just looking at it, and it doesn't appear that this is gonna that this would be it would take such a short amount of time. I mean, he tries to defend it. He says some people and some people enjoy playing with slaves. I'm like, okay, who? 
<laughs> and then he said, "We are an uh, and we are an instrument for these." Honestly, playing the game. If someone wants to help a slave escape for two hours and then enjoy 15 seconds of slave Tetris, I think I got a good chance of changing that person's perception of slavery. So I guess he's saying he's doing this to try to change a uh, perception of slavery, but I don't really think that's going to work. We went over this before, and I said, like, I understand what each of those words mean individually, but when assembled in that order, I don't understand what that means. Yeah. (laughs) No, you're right. It's yeah. I I th- I think I get the gist of what he's saying that they're trying to like it in a way. It's sort of intentionally like everything that you're offended about. Like when you look at slave Tetris and you're offended about slave Tetris because why would you kind of reduce slavery to such a, a simplistic concept? And it's kind of offensive to see people literally being shoved into you know a geometric shape like that. And he's trying, I think what he's trying to say is that, well, the slave trade itself was dehumanizing. So when, when you are offended by slave Tetris, that's the correct feeling. And we want to encourage people to be offended by slavery. Um, but that said, like, this is the completely wrong way to go about it. Like, it just, it, it, it just feels like you're, you're, conf- one, you're, you're dragging Tetris into this. I mean, Tetris doesn't need to be involved with slavery. <laughs> yeah. And, like, I, 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 I kind of feel like slavery should be... I don't feel like you should be like, oh, like, I was cool with slavery until I played Slave Tetris and then I realized it was terrible. <laughs> like, you should kind of know that slavery is a bad idea without this. And maybe that's maybe that's the problem, is he, when he says some people enjoy playing with slaves, that those are the people that we need to be worried about, but... I don't know. I don't know. I do agree with him, though, that if this is just a small part of the game, that, yeah, for as much attention as it's gotten them, it's much easier to just remove it than try to justify its continued inclusion. But, I don't know. What's weird is that it took him two years to get attention about this. Yeah, I didn't realize it was that long. And also, like, the reaction to it kind of reminds me of hatred. Yes. Which I yes. just actually I just checked on hatred. I didn't even know it came out back in June. Oh yeah, yeah. Hatred came out back in June. Yeah, and everybody played it, and it wasn't that great of a game. Yeah, well, actually, the, the funny thing is, like, I'm looking at the user reviews, mostly positive, but it's like troll reviews. Like, it's basically like The Sims, walking around a neighborhood, interacting with other people, visiting their homes, getting groceries, satisfying your needs, etc. That's what uh, people said. It only has. 627 negative reviews. Well, I think the I think the, the the problem with the game like Hatred is that anybody who's going to play it is already looking for a certain type of experience. Like you're like I know you I think you you talked about it as trying to evaluate it as just a straight up third person shooter. Yeah, like I was curious to see exactly like how the game would play. Like the con- the subject matter doesn't necessarily bother me because I don't know. It, 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 I guess maybe it depends how horrific it really is. I don't know. Maybe I maybe I'm just a bad person. Like that like, that really wasn't the problem for me. I just I was like, is it a good game or is it not a good game? You know? Because for for me, a game like this, like any type of like third per not third person shooter, but like um like an isometric top down shooter, it's like a it's like a uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Um, 
like a score driver. Like, you know, they're all just pieces of a puzzle that I'm trying to just drive up a score. Like, I'm not really... I wouldn't be playing it because I want to burn down a school or something or some shit like that. You know what I'm saying? But, yeah, like, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it and... Yeah, I think a lot of uh, <laughs> most of the, the negative reviews are all of like the game, how the game is, the game plays. That's funny. The positive reviews are troll reviews. The negative reviews are like this game sucks because of X, Y, Z. And I don't see a single review right now because uh, I don't see a single review that states that the game is bad because of its uh, content. That's no, funny. I think no, because I think anybody that would have played it and disliked the content just didn't play it. I think it was it, you could almost say it was marketed effectively in so far as anybody who would have disagreed with the content um, was sufficiently turned off by the marketing that they weren't actually going to try to they, they wouldn't even bother playing it to review it. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, but the, the, the slave Tetris thing does remind me a bit of, of hatred and, and its reaction to it. Even though the the, the hatred one uh, definitely got way more press, I guess but they were they were looking for it. This, I mean, the fact that this happened two years later means that this, I mean, it, it seems like somebody stumbled across this at some point and and decided to publicize the issue and and blow it up now. Hatred kind of went out of their way to be like, hey, look at us, we're making this terrible game that isn't. That that you know is social commentary that you're going to have to talk about, and they aimed it squarely at the people who would get rankled up about that to talk about it and do the marketing for them. Um, I mean, to that degree, the the hatred publishers knew exactly what they were doing. Here, these guys seem to have just put something stupid in their game, and it took two years, but finally, you know, it, it kind of blew up on them, and and. I mean, that even then, you can tell, I mean, the reaction is that, you know, once it started to blow up on them and they got any kind of blowback, they just yanked it from the game and they said it's not worth, it's not worth defending. Um, as much, you know, they, they kind of went out of their way to, they still tried to defend their decision to include it initially, but they still just said, you know, we're just going to pull it because it's, it's 15 seconds out of a two hour game. It's not that important in the long run. Um, hatred, that their, their whole thing was the game. You could there was you couldn't you couldn't pull just one aspect of hatred from it and make hatred an acceptable game, um, because it was so intrinsic to what the game was. So, yeah, I mean they're they're similar, but the, the they they kind of got to the same place from two different ways. Yeah. Oh well, well, that's gone. I guess it's kind of a non-issue at this point, but it's, at the same time, it's like think before you uh, develop. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, let's move on to pre-orders. Uh, we always shit on pre-orders, but there's two games uh, where the pre-order news came out, and it was kind of a joke. Actually, the first one isn't as bad, which is Street Fighter Five. So Street Fighter Five is getting DLC, a character costume DLC. But the problem is that these battle costumes are only available through certain retailers. Like if you want to get Ryu's extra costume, you have to get you have to pre-order at GameStop. If you want Bison's extra costume, you have to pre-order at Amazon. If you want Cammy's extra costume, you have to get it at Best Buy. And uh, Chung Lee, you can get it through the PlayStation Store and uh, PC. So it's it's one of those things where you you, you kind of getting screwed, <laughs> you know. I mean, I guess maybe they might come out with a. Uh, 
with a DLC so you could just buy it and turn like you know you you could just buy the uh, the content over Steam maybe not over Steam but you know over whatever digital store actually it's either PlayStation or PC because Xbox isn't getting this one uh so but yeah yeah it's just kind of it kind of sucks when that happens this isn't the worst example of it that we've seen though I don't think like you know exclusive DLCs like where you're actually missing parts of the game where somebody gets a certain weapon that you don't because they just order it from a specific place. And it really sucks for people who already pre-ordered it because they wanted to get into the Street Fighter beta. What if where you pre-ordered it, you're not getting the costume that you want? Yeah. You know? Well, so- well I, I think like you said, that the expectation is that at, at some point there's going to be DLC down the line. So basically all all your your choice of pre-order location does is determine which DLC you're not going to have to pay for later yeah yeah so like I said, that's that's not necessarily the bad one but that is an example of uh pre-ordering uh you know where that can how companies use that to you know I, it's, it's just negative it, it's, like, yeah, to it's, try to to try to break up the game like that it's annoying i mean as, yeah. as long as everything winds up available later and you can buy it from wherever it's you know then ultimately kind of no harm no foul but it's just annoying that like yeah, if you if you really like Hot Ryu, which I think I, I think he looks kind of like Joel from uh, 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 Left uh, not, uh, not Left Behind. Uh, I can't think of the name of that game now. The Last of Us. Yes. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's yeah, it's just it's just annoying. Yeah. Now the <laughs> this uh, this DLC from Deus Ex is a different story. Yes. Well, that's annoying in a whole different way. Oh yeah. So. You know, to kind of go along with the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? With the, um, <laughs> I guess the theme of Deus Ex, augmentation and things of that nature. Uh, the DLC for Deus Ex, and what's the new one called? Um, Mankind Divided. Mankind Divided. It's augmented, quote unquote. In order for all the DLC to be unlocked, or not DLC, but pre-order bonuses to be unlocked, there has to be a certain amount of pre-orders worldwide. Okay, so if you pre-order for Tier 1, uh, which starts at everybody gets a choice. If you pre-order, everyone gets a choice of um, of three loadouts. Okay, if Tier 2 is unlocked, customers will get a choice between a digital art book and a, or a sound sampler. In Tier 3, it'll unlock a mission called Desperate Measures. Uh, in Tier 4... You get a choice between a digital comic book and a novella. Apparently, that's a comic book without pictures. I have no idea what it's that is. It's a book. Yeah, no, exactly. It's a, that's what I'm saying. Like, like, how do you? Who are you marketing to that you need to explain what a novella is? Yeah, like it's kind of like. I, so I thought like it's just a book. Like, how, like maybe I, th- I thought also maybe like something different. Yeah, instead of a comic book without pictures, how is that different from a book? Longer than a short story, shorter than a novel. Yeah. <laughs> um, then the final tier means the game will be released four days before release date, which is like, okay. Uh, but the thing is, a lot of these tiers, as you can see, you get choices. You actually don't even get all of the content. So the only way to get all of the content is to pay $150 for everything. I mean, in the collector's edition. And uh, I don't think there's any... Is there any statue? Okay, there's kind of like a small statue. Okay, that's not that bad. <laughs> You're just all about the statues. Yeah, well, the thing is, like, when you have, depending on the quality of the statue, you know, that, I'm, I'm serious, depending on the quality of the statue, 
because uh, I've actually gotten some nice, some how, nice statues. How many statues can you count just within your field of vision right now? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. So when when we say that that pre-orders are a problem, aren't you really? No, part no, of the no, problem? Nick. No, no, no. Because this is what I do. I do not pre-order these games. Okay. <laughs> I don't pre-order these games. The way I have so many statues is, here's the deal. You have these $100, $150 collector's editions, right? Best Buy, your local Best Buy, Target, wherever, they're bound to get, you know, five or six of them. But they're $150. Nobody buys them. And then when nobody buys them, they drop the price to 60 bucks. So if it's a game that I've never played... I just pay $60 for the game and I get it. If it's a game I've played, like, uh, let's say Halo Reach. Um, I, I had the statue for Halo Reach. I paid, I bought Halo Reach. I didn't like it. I traded it in. I got 30 bucks back from it. Then I rebought it for 60 bucks so I can get the statue, like, a year later. So I paid $90 for it. I, paid, I, I gave Bungie or, and Microsoft 90 bucks. But I definitely didn't pre-order, and I didn't pay $150 for it. Actually, the only one here, there's two here that I did pay, that I did pre-order. Assassin's Creed 3, which was, uh, the statue's nice, but the game sucked. And then Batman Arkham City, which that game was amazing. And I got a statue for that. So don't try to shame me, Nick. <laughs> you know? <laughs> whatever, whatever you need to tell yourself. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Actually, yeah, actually, even my, my Nathan Drake one and my uh, Cole from Infamous, those, I got those for super cheap. I got those for like 40 bucks each. The collector's editions of those games. Thanks to Amazon. And not pre-ordering, still. So, no. Don't try to uh, throw me into your defense there, Nick. <laughs> the games but, uh, yeah, so... <laughs> In order to get everything, it's 150 bucks. But, you know, the article that we're going to link, it brought a good point. You're kind of screwing the people who just want to day one buy the game. Like, they don't want to pre-order it. You know, they don't want to give you the money before they know the game is good. There's nothing wrong with that. All pre-ordering does is you ju you've just given them your money without knowing the game is good. And let's be realistic, if the if, if reviews come out and the game isn't and the reviews are bad, you're still probably going to pick up the game. It's highly unlikely you're actually going to go to a GameStop and then cancel your pre-order. You know? You probably, if you go to the GameStop, you're going to pick up, eh, I'll see for myself whether the game is bad. You know? Unless there's some, like, like really known issues of how the game, uh, you know, of how the game has, like, is unplayable. But look at Aliens Colonial Marines. Look at how many people bought that fucking game, even though the reviews were awful for it. So yeah, that's the thing about pre-ordering. If you pre-order a game, odds are you're still gonna play. You're still gonna pick it up and you're still gonna play it. But yeah, this trying to you know roping the pre-orders to uh, global pre you know to global sales, that's a little cheap. There, Square Enix. You know. The people who the people who pre-order your game should be the ones that get everything. You should be giving them all the extra stuff because, like, literally, right now, there is the only reason to pre-order a game is to get the additional bonus stuff. 
Those are your most loyal fans, the people who are, are pre-ordering your games at this point. Because there is no supply issue. You know? There's no supply issue, like, on Steam specifically. Like, you can pre-order this game on Steam. What kind of supply issue is that? You know? Even if you want to, I think, like, what game did I do it with? I think I did not pre-order Borderlands 2. But when it came out, I was up at midnight. And people were playing. I was like, ah, fuck it. I'll just buy it. I bought it and I played it, like, right then and there. At the midnight release without pre-ordering it. You know? Pre-orders should be given... People who pre-order should be given everything. And especially not just a choice. Like, there should be no choice. They should get the three loadouts. They should get the art book and the sound thing. You know? Am I, am I, am I overstepping that, Nick? Well, I think... I think the thing is it really depends how you want to present this. Because if you present... If you present the collector's edition, like, the $150 first and say, like, okay, like, this is the what it's going to cost to get everything, but maybe you don't want to pay the whole $150, and maybe you don't want everything that's in that full package anyway, here's the other different tiers where you can, you know, pick out kind of what you want and how much, you know, and, and here's how much you're willing to pay for it. Um, I mean... I mean, the collector's editions are always fancy. They, you know, they come with the statue. They come with the art books and stuff. They're worth paying a little bit more for. I mean, even, you know, and especially when you're buying that kind of stuff, you're clearly a super fan of the game that as long as the game is playable, that, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be invested in it. And I would hope, I would hope, I mean, even then, I mean, if, if you, you know, even if the game's not playable, you're, you're, again, you're invested enough it, that you're going to wait for the game to get patched to be playable. Um, and it is really disappointing that we kind of have to talk about that aspect of pre-ordering, that you can't just assume that you're going to buy the game and it's going to work at launch as you should expect. Um, but that said, I mean, fundamentally, I don't, I mean... If everything's everything's available in the in the, in the one package, yes, it's one hundred and fifty dollars, and you can decide whether that's worth it to you. I mean, fundamentally, choice is not a bad thing. You can look at this and you can decide how much you think each of these things really are worth to you, and how much you really want to pay for. I mean, the whole global pre-orders determining what tier unlocks is kind of silly, because um, you you know that. I mean, because it, 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 at some level. You have no well at any level fundamentally. You have no say over what global pre-orders are, and if you really want whatever comes in tier four, if that if the pre-orders don't reach that, it's not like you can run around for for you know Square Enix being like buy my game, buy my game. Like, is, I think that's kind of what they're hoping for, though. That, yeah, it's not going to work that way. No, absolutely uh, not. No, and like, go pre-order if you want it. Just go. Like, but no. that said, if you really really want to get everything at all the levels, just you, you have to pay up for the hundred and fifty dollar edition. And then you don't have to worry about that. So, I mean, it's it's entirely, you know, this is entirely an individual decision to base, like, you know, what is your money worth to you? How much is this stuff worth to you? Are you willing to spend your money on this or not? Um, and, yeah, if you want to just get, you know, tier one and get what one of those loadouts, or if you want all the loadouts, then, you know, you'll have to buy it all. And I'm sure that once the game goes live again, that some of those loadouts and stuff will be available um, at least the digital stuff I would think should be available in the game probably for a cheaper price once the game is up um, the digital art book and comic and novella um, I can see those probably not being available outside of this but I'm sure if somebody wants they can probably find them somewhere without having to look too hard um, but yeah it's I don't know I, I don't I, it's I, th I think this this sort of 
fragmented collector's edition issues as opposed to sort of the the pre-order I mean pre-ordering itself is one issue I think this you know segmenting up the the product like this on the one hand it's annoying but on the other hand it, it does give people the choice to be like okay well you know what I just want a loadout I don't want the art book and the statue and I'm perfectly fine just paying a little bit more to get a loadout, or I'm fine, you know, pre-ordering now. And I don't know, is, is is if you pre-order, you don't have to actually pay anything more to get those loadouts and stuff. You just pre-order, and then you just make a choice, and then just wait. So, I mean, fundamentally, you are getting some additional content for free. That's not, it's not exactly a bad thing. It's it's a little convoluted that you have to wait for pre-orders to hit a certain level before you get to choose something else, but. You're still getting you're still getting more with your base game. You are getting rewarded for pre-ordering to a degree, so that's not it's not terrible. Yeah. Uh, let's move on from pre-orders and let's talk about the Jimmy Kimmel Let's Plays. I know, I know you were in, you were particularly interested in that, Nick. Yes. Um, yes. This all started uh, when Jimmy Kimmel did a two-minute skit. I guess he got wind of this was all about YouTube gaming launching, and so he talked about it in one of his monologues, and. He kind of poo-pooed it. Uh, basically, he said, you know, he, he clearly didn't understand it. And what's weird, it's really weird because he, he, he didn't understand the, the premise of people watching other people playing games. And I have to admit, as a disclaimer, I don't fully either. Like, I kind of understand where Kimmel's coming from on this because I don't, I, like, I don't really watch people streaming. I don't watch Let's Plays. I mean, I'll watch... I'll watch some YouTube things about like how to beat a certain raid boss because I need to know the strategies when I face that raid boss. I think once I watched uh, uh, I watched Bo from Gaming Ogre play some Rocksmith, mostly because I figured like I'm doing something else, and if I'm going to have music on in the background, why not sit in his chat room and listen to him attempt to play some stuff on Rocksmith? Um, and he didn't pick any of the songs I wanted him to play, so I never did that again. But... Like, you know, he, Kimmel came at this from the perspective of, I don't understand why somebody would watch somebody else play a game, and so I'm going to make fun of it. And then the punchline to the, like, it built up to a little skit where he had, you know, like, YouTube Gaming Advanced, and it was you watching somebody watching a Let's Play. And then there was YouTube Gaming Almighty, which was you watching God, watching somebody watching somebody playing a Let's Play. Like, I, like I understood the premise of the joke there, and it was kind of dumb, and the whole... The whole, the whole thing exists because he clearly doesn't understand Let's Plays. But as I said, what's really confusing is he even points out in his monologue that PewDiePie is making like $4 million a year doing this. So clearly he understands that there's money in this. And maybe that's what it was, is that he's he, he was trying to get the attention of the Let's Players and the, you know, the, the, the Twitch streamers and, and more so the fans of those people. He was trying to get their attention by referencing this, but he did it in the exact wrong way. Um, that said, if there's one thing that Kimmel has been, it's he has been sort of up on the times. He ha he often has the celebrities reading mean, mean tweets on his show, um, and so what happened was, of course, like once you piss off video gamers, what do we respond with? You know, like stupid tweets and death threats. Um, and then what, what's the one here? There's, there's somebody, what, uh, that Jimmy Kimmel video is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Get AIDS. Like we, uh, he poked gamers and if gamers responded as you kind of would expect gamers to respond, which is sad commentary in its own right. Um, but of course then he couldn't leave it alone. He had to go back to it and he did a segment with two streamers and I don't remember who it was and I tried to watch it and 
I tried to watch it, and I got maybe about a third of the way through, and I just... It's... He has no comprehension and he, he it's one of those things where he tried to come at it like I want to understand what this is but he still didn't have the comprehension to work work with it and I don't know I, I kind of don't know what the point of it was because he shows up wearing a power glove with a you know like ah oh, you got a power glove that's a nice little reference and that's even kind of what I alluded to earlier like when people see like Dota or League of Legends and then the, the, the only thing they can talk about is Mario like video games are so wide-spanning that they're so wide-spanning to, I think, anybody who actually plays video games, but to anybody who doesn't, they know a few little touchstones like Mario, like Donkey Kong, and then that's it. That's why you look at something like Pixels and why it was, like, utterly incomplete garbage because Pixels hit upon the little touchstones that we have as gamers with sort of the mass in general. Like, everybody play Pac-Man. Everybody knows Donkey Kong. But beyond that, like, everybody who's actually into gaming knows that those are, one, old relics, and two, that gaming has moved beyond that. Like, the Donkey Kong that we think of is the Donkey Kong from, like, Donkey Kong Country, or the Donkey Kong from Smash Brothers, not the Donkey Kong from, you know, old-school Donkey Kong, the one that just stood up on top of a tower and threw barrels. He has evolved so much beyond that. And even Mario... I mean, how many different kinds of iterations of Mario have there been for somebody to think back just to the 8-bit, you know, oh, he grows with a mushroom and he shoots fireballs. You know, it's, you know, there's there's so many people, I think, who, you know, touched video gaming, so to say. You know, they played video games back in the day and then they moved on and their understanding of video games hasn't evolved beyond that. And sure, they know, okay, they see the graphics, they might see Call of Duty, they might see some of the Madden clips, Um but they don't really understand what's going on within video games or, or know what it is. And that's really what this was, is this this was Kimmel kind of touching against it again, not understanding. He admits he still doesn't understand it, and he couldn't find the right comedy within it to get to a point of understanding or get to somewhere where the jokes were funny. Um, it's one of those things, like, I know, like, I listen to The Nerdist a lot and Chris Hardwick, and he talks a lot about comedy. And one of the things is, like, he talks about like comedians using comedy to explore a subject and to like understand it. And I think that's kind of what Kimmel was trying to do here. And he, but he never got to the point of understanding and he made like the easy joke, like, Oh, you know, it's just everybody just watching somebody else do something. Like he made the easy joke without really exploring it. And, and I, and, and to his credit though, or not to his credit, but I wonder like, once you start getting the responses too of all the death threats and the people you know get, you know calling for your head and and you know as as a gaming community there's you know too much of that negative side showed its face and at that point why would he even want to understand it i mean to to his credit he still you know sought out two streamers and met with them and and tried to do a skit with them that didn't work but once you come against the community, you run afoul of the community over something stupid, and then the community just immediately, like, shuts you out? Like, you're not going to encourage any kind of dialogue at that point. And he's perfectly within his rights to just be like, gamers are assholes, and then move on, because that's kind of the side that we showed him. But it's, I don't know, it's, 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 it's a complex thing. I mean, I, I look at him, though, and I feel like he's looking at streamers and not understanding it it's kind of like the first time somebody was like well i'm gonna go down to the local pub and i'm gonna stand up and i'm gonna tell jokes and their father who's a farmer is like well no you can't do that you have to work on the farm to make money like you're not you know that's not a real career choice and fundamentally like you know 
that's what he does. Like it's this like what he does and what PewDiePie do as far as entertaining, they're a lot more similar than I think he realizes. And maybe maybe he realizes it and this is just sort of the mainstream entertainment's way of like kind of trying to keep themselves separate, you know, and 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 to shut the, shut down streaming before, you know, it takes over his job. I mean, fundamentally if people are watching people, you know, if people are watching streamers, they're not watching him telling jokes. Um, and so maybe he's just trying to keep that separated, but also maybe it's like, I don't know. I don't know. I had a point and I lost it. I don't know. Was that, how long was that rent? Was that four minutes? Did I beat the other one? I, I don't think so. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it's, it's not just the joke that gamers can't take a joke as the article uh, link mentions, but it's how he presented it. Like, you know, he, one of the first things he said, oh, well, he, I can't remember, he said something about, you know, uh, uh, how, you know, how our parents have failed us. Like, yes. He, yeah. Like, he, they, like, you lead with that. Like, that, I mean, the thing about, I think uh, gamers are sensitive to people saying stuff like that because of the, the constant stereotyping uh, and the stigma that, that we deal with. Now I can almost guarantee you most of the people who even said anything to Kemmel were were younger. Yes, so probably younger, high school, maybe out of high school, well, or early twenties. In in the follow up video that he does with the two streamers, one of the street he he talks about getting the death threats or whatever, and one of the streamers says like, "Oh, that was probably somebody like my twelve year old brother." Like she even kind of acknowledges like there's a large segment of gamers who don't have the maturity level to deal with this appropriately. Yeah, like that's the thing, and. The, the young, because the older people like me, I watched it. I'm like, well, I've rolled my eyes a little bit. And it's not, it wasn't funny. I didn't find it no, funny it wasn't. at all. Like, like it, it wasn't funny at all. But the crowd thought it was fucking hilarious because you know, well, they I, get an applause sign. Like I wouldn't go at all by what the crowd's the crowd's laughing at. Oh no, sometimes they get a little off key. <laughs> I think it wasn't it wasn't offensive to the crowd, and if there was an applause sign, they weren't. At the point where they were going to go against what the sign said. Yeah, and then my, the the thing, obviously, the the skit afterwards where he goes with the two YouTubers, uh, to do the let's play, like uh, that was obviously controlled by his show and the tone of the the skit was by his show because I mean he didn't learn anything from it at all. No. Like they like they they didn't even have to be a skit. It just had to be a conversation like, "Well, why do people watch Let's Plays?" Well, people watch Let's Plays cuz some people just want to they don't want to buy a game. They just want to see the cutscenes or some people want to learn how to do things. Some people who do Let's Plays are funny, so people watch it that way. Like there's so many different reasons why people will watch a Let's Play, and the way he portrayed it is that, you know, these loser gamers are watching other loser gamers watch game, you know, play games. It's such a loser thing to do. Yeah. And for me, it's kind of just like, okay, whatever, Jimmy Kimmel. I'll go about my business. For somebody who is younger and may not be as secure, you're taking something that they love and you're attacking it. A lot of younger people do play games uh, because they are, maybe they may be outcasts, you know? Yeah. Uh, they like things that aren't necessarily popular. And so they, they play the games and they have their groups of friends that they met through games you know, and so gaming is a, is a big deal to them. When you insult it, it's uh, it's it's a problem. You know, it's very disrespectful. There's ways for you to to tone to, to you know to uh, 
to, to, to say jokes, and while they're still funny, they're not hurtful. Like, Bill Burr does that all the time. Like, Bill Burr is one of my favorite comedians, because he makes fun of us of all time. He makes fun of nerds and things like that. But the, it's the tone that he comes across where he is purposefully trying to sound like an asshole saying it. Yeah. And he makes it he makes it known. Well, in that case, if he's coming across as the asshole, it's almost like he's the butt of the joke because he's the asshole as opposed to, well, the gamer is the asshole. Uh, to a degree. Some of the stuff he says is true, though. <laughs> but well. It's just the way he says it. And then he'll say stuff like, you know, you know, he makes fun of him, but he'll say these guys are smarter than me. Or you know the you know they're making yeah, more money and stuff like but that. But. Even, but even that's a little bit of a cop out. Like it's it's like oh I can make fun of you, but I, as long as I as long as I say something nice about you in the end, then everything's fine. Yeah, it's hard to explain. Like I'm not yeah. obviously I'm not a comedian. I can't deliver the way he does, but it's not yeah. nice the way he does it. But at the same time, it's funny. It's more acceptable. You know, it's it, unlike the way Jimmy Kimmel did it. It was the demeanor in which he did. It. Like I can't believe these losers are watching people. Play, uh, play no, he games. he he was very dismissive. He was very dismissive. But what I don't, but it, it was, but it was it was weird because he was dismissive, and yet at the same time, like if you're gonna be dismissive, why bring up PewDiePie making four million dollars a year? Like he clearly acknowledges that there's something he doesn't get about this, and then he goes on with it anyway. Like okay, this is something I don't understand. It seems stupid to me. There's something here that I don't get, so I'm just gonna keep going anyway, and then. He even sits down with the YouTubers again to be like, I still don't understand this, but clearly there's something here. And he, he never he never gets it. He never he, he never actually gets to that point of understanding of it, which it's like if you're going to if you're going to make some fun of something, you need you, you should understand it because otherwise otherwise that's when you're being offensive is that. You know, you know that there's these people that hold this value valuable, and if you don't at least understand why they hold it valuable or what's wrong with them holding it valuable, I mean, if you want to sit there and, and kind of be like, look, there is no value in watching somebody else play a game, then, you know, walk that line. But at that point, you're almost not, you're not making fun of them. You're lecturing them. Yeah. And that becomes, a, you know, at that point, that's almost not the, if you want to take your show in that direction, I mean, that's your call, but it's no longer a comedy skit at that point. Because at that point you're either you're lecturing or you're bullying, and that's yeah that that's a totally different tone than I think what he would be going for. Yeah, so. I think I think it was the delivery was mainly the issue. If you had a, a better comedian uh, doing it, I think it would have been a bit better. Well, there are. I mean, who is it? I mean, freaking. I mean, there are comedians that do that. I know, like, I mean, Will Wheaton's a comedian actor and um i mean he i know he streams or who is it uh or not will not, not will wheaton uh thomas middleditch i know he's talked about streaming he's uh one of the stars of silicon valley and he does some comedy so i mean there are comedians that, that there, there are comedians that engage with this but i think it's more so that they're nerds who are comedians more than than comedians that that do this like there are ways to to get into this yeah, even like Howard Stern, there was that thing a couple of weeks ago where they played that clip of the guy getting the Gallahorn, and even that was less disrespectful than what Jimmy Kimmel really did. And they straight out said he is too old to be getting excited about this, but the it's the way he delivered, like the he was delivering the jokes about it. Yeah, you know that's the thing, and I think it was Jimmy Kimmel's delivery was kind of like, can you believe these guys? Like they're fucking watching people play other people play video games. Like what losers. And that's how it came across. But, you know, it, it really, I, I, you know, it goes, I think you look at South Park and how they handled the whole YouTube streaming thing or, you know, and, and 
you know, as far as they eventually, as much as they made fun of it, they also kind of, again, they acknowledged they didn't understand it, that it's like a generational thing. And then it ended with them getting PewDiePie involved anyway, and they pinned it all on Cartman, who's kind of their punching bag for whatever they want to make fun of anyway. Right. So, you know, so they, they, they associated Cartman with it, and then they, they had Cartman get his comeuppance in the end, which is kind of, you know, what you want to see here is that even if, you know, like it, like the punchline should never be that you're making fun of people for doing something. It's the, like the pun. You can look for the humor in what they're doing, and make the joke about that. But it should be done in a way that they can laugh along with it. And this was anybody who enjoys watching a let's play. This was this was not funny to them. This was make they were the punchline. Absolutely. And that's I mean yeah. And at that point, it becomes border. It, it becomes harassment. It's. You know, you're making fun of somebody else. You're not making fun of the activity in a way that they can find amusing. Like when you talk about Bill Burr, he's, you know, like when what he says is true, like he, whatever he's saying, he's making fun of it in a way that even the people that engage in it kind of acknowledge like, okay, well, that is true. That is funny. Yeah. Like, you know, it's the difference between like making fun of making fun of like the quirks of D&D as opposed to making fun of people for playing D&D. Absolutely. That I think is the best way uh yeah, that that you just yeah. hit the nail on the head right there, and that's and and that's really, and you know, and obviously you need to be familiar with D and D to really make the fun of the quirks of it. But if you're not familiar with D and D and you try to make fun of it, then you run the risk of making fun of the people that play it, and you come off as the asshole in that case. And that's that's where Kimmel is right now. Right, one hundred percent. So hopefully we don't see too much more of that because it got old. Like first of all, the the first skit was not funny. No, and the second, and I think he did a third one. Did he do a third one? I, 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 third I think one. it's continued. Oh. It's it's just it's getting old. Just drop it. It's dude. not gonna, yeah. It's it's not going to stop at this point. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, even like I mean, Conan does his Conan does his uh, what like Conan plays, which it's like him sitting down with a developer playing a game, and sometimes those are funny, but some even then sometimes it comes across like he's just making jokes about what he sees on the screen. Like it's not it's. There's a reason why I don't watch more of those, and I love Conan, and it's just he he's out of his he's out of his element in that point, and that's part of the joke is that he doesn't know what's going on, but he still says things that are that you know highlight that he doesn't know what he's talking about. Absolutely, yeah. So the problem here is Jimmy Kimmel. Yes, and he, I mean, yeah, and and twelve year old gamers, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, and that's and that's a you know, I mean, that's a problem too, is that you need a certain level of maturity to engage in this discourse and g- games by their nature, I think include people who are, don't have that maturity yet. Gotcha. All right. Let's move on. Uh, actually, I don't want to stay on this for too long. This machinima topic, uh, versus the FTC. So there was an investigation. Um, the FTC did an investigation regarding machinima, uh, machinima's, um, practices regarding uh, promoting the Xbox One. It was a partnership between Microsoft and Machinima, and Machinima paid YouTubers up to up to $30,000, meaning an individual YouTuber could get up to $30,000 for saying... No wonder Jimmy things. Kimmel's making fun of them. They make too much damn money. Yeah. <laughs> for saying positive things about the Xbox One. So obviously those are the larger YouTubers. Like, um, I'm looking for the names here, but I cannot find them. I know one guy definitely made 30000 and another person made. Uh, here we go. Uh, the Syndicate Project made thirty thousand, and Sky VS Gaming made fifteen thousand. The two videos he made uh, regarding the Xbox One. They were paid to promote the Xbox One, but they were specifically they had like a script. They had to hit certain points, and they were told 
not to say anything negative about it. And it was never disclosed that these were paid advertisements. Now, for everybody else, they got a $1 for every 1,000 views with a cap of 25K. So I don't know how well that went for them, but it was the same thing. It was the same thing. Like, you can't, you have to hit these certain points, you have to use these certain video clips, and you cannot say that we paid you to do so. It's deceptive practices. Now, unfortunately, I don't think there's any, any, uh, like, monetary punishment for this. The FTC doesn't have the jurisdiction, or they don't have, uh, What's the word? There's no um. There's no way for them to seek civil fines because there's no order in place. Well, that's what I think. The order is now in place. Yes. So yeah, and now if they do that, that's a problem. But from before, no, they can't do it. Yeah. So now they're kind of like, yeah, we're watching you. It's I basically the equivalent you. of they got the, like the teacher wrote their name on the board, but now now if they get a check mark next to it, then they get detention. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, that's why you got to be careful, man. Like, now, I mean, the FTC is keeping an eye on YouTubers now, but at the same time, it's going to be a while before a lot of these practices are, I think, sifted out. There's tons of YouTubers out there or people who do Let's Plays. They get paid for playing those games. They get paid for saying positive things, you know? You got to be careful when you're listening to that. That's why I prefer, like, when I watch a Let's Play, I just want to like, wanna, wanna watch one with the least bit of commentary. At least with a commentary. The only time, you know, one of the, I usually only watch Let's Plays after I've already beaten the game, if I watch them at all. Like, I watched um, Toby Games Dead Space 2 Let's Play only after I played Dead Space 2 because it was funny, you know? Yeah. But, like, uh, yeah, you gotta, like, I, I, I don't know, like, you, <laughs> if you're watching a Let's Play just for to see if you want to buy the game, and see what somebody says about it. Watch those reviews, man. Watch see who's their sponsors. You know, yeah. Be careful. Um, our last topic is regarding a lawsuit between uh, Destiny, the, the guy who did the Halo music, and he did uh, the music for Destiny, and the lawsuit between him and Bungie. So you know, as you know, everybody knows, Bungie made a partnership with Activision. Uh, they announced a five. I think Destiny's supposed to be a five-part game. Supposedly, we'll see. <laughs> but it's supposed to be a five-part. Well, game. That, I think that's one of the things that actually came out in the lawsuit is that it's supposed to be a five-part game. Yeah, five-part game, um, five hundred million dollar ten-year bet, as you know they said over at Activision, and it came out the details of what happened. Uh, so basically, you know, he was fired from Bungie, and I think his shares and profit share and stuff was taken away. Yes. And uh, so it came out that, you know, he did, was co- the composer for the Destiny music, him and Paul McCartney. And he wanted to release the soundtrack they made as a, individually or by itself. Activision didn't like that. Uh, and then it was denied again when uh, Bungie tries to raise the flag for him or tried to put in a dispute for him. Activision still said no. Uh, then on top of that, the the first trailer at E3 when it was first revealed at E3, uh, he thought he wanted to use the trailer to use his music. Activision made their own music and put it with the game, and he raised a stink about it. Then he was so mad about it, he actually started interrupting press briefings and things of that nature. And Bungie got involved, saying that you know, he's done irreparable damage to the brand and things aren't working out. Yada yada yada. They fire him and they force him to give up his shares. Which are obviously important, uh, you know, or they're they're valuable because they have Halo and Destiny attached to them. 
I don't think they forced them to give them up as much as they took them. But I guess well, that's I would say the same thing. Like when yeah. they forced them to give it up, they took them from them because it was fired. That was what the lawsuit was about. It was about getting um, compensation for unpaid wages and getting his shares back. And, and he did. Yes. Uh, but he was saying, uh, I'm looking for the quote here, but he said you know, he was trying to fight back against the corrosive uh, element that Activision brought to Bungie. Yes. And that's that's been, that Nick has been waving that flag around for oh, well, uh, see, quite a while now. See, it's... It's one of those things, like, that's, like, my pet theory. Like, I mean, we had the whole podcast about that. Like, is Activision destroying Destiny and WoW? And it's one of those things, like, there's no smoking gun to be able to point to it and be like, look, see, Activision's terrible. Like, and this is as close as I've gotten to that smoking gun. But even then, like, O'Donnell's actions, it's, he's not a reliable narrator. (laughs) It's, I mean, clearly, I think... And I think he was clearly upset when Activision decided that we're going to use our own music in the trailer, which I guess as far as the the overall parameters between Bungie and Activision, Activision had the rights to do that. And fundamentally, it is only a trailer, but, you know, especially, too, I think O'Donnell's situation, he's been working on this music. He was told, write music for this game. Here's what we know about the game, but the game's not in development. And apparently he likes to have the game in development or or at least far enough long in development that he can actually play it or see it played. Um, So he can actually write music to go very specifically with the game. And here he was just given some concept art and be like, go crazy with it. And he got to work with Paul McCartney, which it's amazing that Paul McCartney would get involved with so early in the process. Um, But I guess that's what needed to happen. And so he got to do that. And then he wrote this music and, you know, it was great for giving, he wrote this music, he got to give it back to the developers so they could listen to the music while they were developing the game. So it's like, okay, if this music evokes what we want the game to be, you can kind of write the game to match the music and it'll all still work out in the end. And presumably, I guess he was still going to write more music even after that initial 50 minutes. But... Now he wrote this music. It's only being shared with the developers, and he has nowhere to go with it. You know, he can't. He, he made some noise about wanting to release it publicly because if you worked with Paul McCartney on something, why wouldn't you want it to be released publicly? And I guess the first opportunity that people could have heard it outside of Bungie was that trailer, and Activision was like, "No, we're going to do our own music for the trailer. Don't worry about that." And so at that point, at that point, the relationship fractured because he clearly believed that Activision had no you know, didn't have like Bungie's best interest at its heart. And he ran with that and he became toxic. And the problem there is that, and it's, it's one of those things. It's, it's kind of like the argument between is somebody a freedom fighter or a terrorist, because from his perspective, he sees Activision is coming into Bungie and messing up the way Bungie is. And from Bungie's perspective outside of O'Donnell, they see like, okay, we've got this relationship with Activision that we're working on maintaining. And now this guy over here is, you know, he's the guy messing it up. And so it's one of those things like he really needed to handle this a lot more professionally than he did. And then the, I guess the question becomes like, is there a professional way to handle that when you see the sour relationship? Because I'm thinking like when you get to the point of publicly, you know, you know, interrupting meetings and press conferences and, 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 you know, talking out of line that, you know that you know that your superiors aren't happy with you and maybe he thought he had immunity because he was one of the founders of of Bungie that he had that founder stock maybe he didn't think he could actually be fired um and so he was kind of gambling that he he was kind of untouchable and he was wrong because i mean that's the thing is he lost uh the ceo uh Harold Ryan 
who you know said said to Activision, you know, like he he recommended firing him long before they actually did. And so, like once you've lost the CEO support of your own company, it's over. Like you can't, you know, like at that point, Activision's no longer the invading force. Like they are, you know, they are aligned one and whole with Bungie, and you're the, you know, you're the problem, and you had to go. And it's it's one of those things where it's like, okay, so he had his disagreement with Activision. He lost that disagreement. And I don't know, I guess since he, I mean, I don't think anybody else has been fired from Bungie other than him. So, I mean, it could just be an extreme clash of personalities. Maybe he, he may be the only one that perceived that Activision was overstepping their bounds. And it's hard to say, like to look at him and be like, well, okay, because he said all these things, it's clearly right. Like he definitely had a warped perspective. And I think his perspective in the development of destiny is unique. So I, I really, I want to believe him. I want to be like, look, like O'Donnell's right. And Activision is terrible. And I just feel like he's not the, he's not the person to cite in this case that, that it was, he, he and Activision clearly saw two things, two different ways, but he, he, just because they, he had to part with Bungie, um, and, and clearly Bungie got rid of him in, in ways that were wrong. I mean, that's the whole point of the lawsuit that he won. You know, he got his founder's shares back. He got his money back. I think he got like $200,000. He was re- uh, over two lawsuits as far as lost wages and, and lost overtime that he was owed. Um, so, I mean, he got his money back. He got his shares back. You know, Bungie was wrong to terminate him necessarily the way they did. But he didn't respond to Activision the way he needed to to play the situation properly. Um, not that there's necessarily a way that he could have, but he he's not innocent, unfortunately. And so it's hard to look at his comments about Activision being terrible and take it at face value because he's clearly biased. That's that 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 is true. He definitely uh <laughs> didn't do handle things in the best way, to say the least. Uh, one thing that the article does bring us out is that Destiny has sold uh, as of the third quarter. Uh, six point three million units. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, according, I mean, according to Bungie, around that same time, Destiny or Activision say Destiny had twenty million registered users, and me and Nick are trying to figure out where are they? Because even yeah. if you know, because uh, Jorge recently created a second account so he can replay the game without deleting his characters when uh, the Taken King comes out. And even if everybody did what Jorge did, that is a uh, that's still only twelve point six million units. So I, like, you know, I'm I'm looking for some some answer as to what's happening, and um, maybe on uh, Activision's next uh, uh, financial call they'll address it. Maybe I don't think so. <laughs> well, I don't know because this information. This information didn't make it to investors, so if investors are looking at it, they're probably looking at like, um, excuse me, you know, 6.3 million uh, sold. Where are the users at? How do they'll, you justify the users? They'll brush this under the rug completely because by the time that call comes out, they'll be all about the Taken King. Yeah, but that's if the Taken King gets they, they, people going to be looking to sit for sales of the Taken King too. Which I personally, have... I don't think the Taken King is going to bring in a whole bunch of new players. 
Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know. If that, I don't know. Necessarily has to bring in new players if there's 20 million registered users. They just need, they just need some number that they can bandy about and be like 6.3 million. That's that's old numbers. We don't care about that anymore. Taking King, we got you know 19 million registered users or whatever. Yeah, yay, Taking King. Look, you know they're not even going to talk about that. They're going to talk about sales as far as between the legendary bundle and. You know all the the DLC and the dances that they've had everything there. They're just going to be like, and Destiny made us X million in revenue this year. Moving on. They probably write a sweep under the rug. I'm not going to let it go. I'm on the case. <laughs> well, you got to get get, get uh, you got to invest in Activision so you can get uh, get to ask a question on those calls. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Get myself a share. Yeah. Like, excuse me, does Bobby Kotick use a stamp, or is that really a bloody hoof print on his uh, signature? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Can we do a Kickstarter to buy enough shares to get Bobby Kotick fired? Well, you know, I, I don't know. Actually, he, you really don't hear about him much these days. No, he's quiet. They, they say that the strong move quiet. Yes. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's going to bring us to the end of our show today. Uh, you can catch us on, actually, no, let's talk about our other shows first. Let's talk about our other shows, uh, that we have. Uh, so, uh, both this week, both Double Tap and In Orbit will be out. So you'll have both of those. Double Tap a week late because of, uh, PAX Prime and In Orbit right on time. So, uh, for you Destiny lovers, there's In Orbit. And for you, uh, fighting game, uh, you know, FGC aficionados, there is Double Tap. Uh, we also have Wild Talk, which is every other week, which isn't this week, but next week, correct, Nick? Uh, yeah, next week. All right, also this week, we will be having a special edition uh, for PAX Prime, even though it's it's a week out, but we have a few interviews that we want to go through. Uh, we got a chance to talk to developers, so we're going to do that. Uh, and you, all of our podcasts you can catch on uh, SoundCloud, they're on iTunes uh, Stitcher Smart Radio for your Android and iOS devices Over uh, Overcast, I want to say Overwatch again but it's Overcast <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pocket FM and play, uh, Pocket Cast and Player.fm uh, you can catch us on Twitter.com slash MTB site, we're Facebook.com slash Smash the Buttons and youtube.com slash match those buttons and uh nick where can they find you on twitter at wookie bh all right and i am on twitter i am concept sf that's c zero n c three p t s f i am going to change that so i figure out what to change it to <laughs> and uh you can just catch us there if you want to keep up with what's uh, going on with the site uh as always thank you for listening we'll catch you guys next week have a great week everybody